This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to The Blank Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those difficult moments with some well-known guests. And I am here today as your host, here we Charles go. Bailey Phillips. Here we and go. And next to me, as ever, on this journey of discovery, Ooh. is Jim Daly. <laughs> the Peter Cook <laughs> to my Dudley Moore. Oh, excellent. We're just going for famous comic duos. <laughs> but they're not, it's not bad at all. Like, we'll, we'll, I'll take all of them. That's lovely. I almost put myself as Peter Cook, but I thought, nah, I'll give, the, I'll give you that one. You, you can be the Peter Cook of this duo if you want to. One of my favourite books ever is Peter Cook's... Well, it's Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, really, but I think Peter Cook released it under his name. And it's called I Was an Only Twin. <laughs> which nice. is a brilliant title. Yeah, yeah. And it's just transcripts from their TV... Well, they're basically their whole back catalogue. Mm. And it's the funniest thing ever. Oh, that sounds good. I might oh, check it out. It's so good, mate. Good stuff. Well, look, speaking of comedians, we've got an excellent comedian on this, on this we week's have. guest. On this week's podcast, I should say. Yeah, a, and such a lovely person. Yeah. Yeah. It's the wonderful Jessica Fosterkey. Yeah. You got the name right. I got the name right. Because I was right. really worried about getting yeah. the name wrong. And in fact, you, we talked about it at the top and of the And actually, pod, I did we? a bit of, although I've listened to her say it herself on her yeah. own podcasts, um, I still was a bit, you know, when you like get in yeah, your head, you get in your own say. head. Yeah, yeah. As it turns out, she doesn't care. 
She doesn't care. And that's <laughs> Could good. Could have called her anything. Well, to be honest, I often get the Paley in my name. Yeah. Paley, obviously, Phillips is okay. But Paley, I mean, sometimes Paisley oh. or Pally. Pally, okay. Yeah. I mean, I had a letter came through the other day. It said Paisley Phillips. Oh, okay. And does that annoy you? Do you get annoyed no, by I don't that? get annoyed don't by really it. care. No. Just name, isn't it? Yeah. I get it. I get it with Jim. People call me Tim or Kim sometimes. That's a bit different because that's your first name. So it's a bit more. Yeah. Like, and you, you need to like... Get nip that in the bud yeah, early but you've doors. Had issues with your surname on on BBC programmes. Uh, the Dally, BBC seemed to and Davy, Dally and Davy. Yeah. yeah. So you have had issues. Yeah, that's true. I think, and I remember you being annoyed about it. Uh, <laughs> well, I was like making a joke about it. Oh, okay. But it would be nice if they got it right. But um, who knows? Third time lucky, maybe. Um, so yeah. Anyway, shall we crack <laughs> on? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It was great to talk to Jess. I yeah. mean, obviously, a fascinating person who is prolific um, comedian actor and she does um, two amazing podcasts yes. a hoovering podcast and yeah. the Guilty Feminist yeah, two of the best around and uh, so it was a real treat to sit down and talk to her for an hour yeah it was lovely I think we should just crack on with it uh, this is Jessica Foster Q on the Blank Podcast <laughs> Um, speaking of chefs, do you know who my favourite chef is? Tell me. Um, Jack Torres from, um, what's that show? Uh, Nailed It. Have you oh, seen that? Oh, no, I haven't. On Netflix. Oh, it's so good. God, I'm so behind on all the Netflix. Yeah, me too. So There's so good. many, aren't there? Yeah. I just finished watching Chef, the... Um, haven't seen that. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> uh, John Favreau. That. He meets up with... So the guy that was a consultant on the movie, Chef. Right. They, did, they cook together. And John Favreau's clearly from the movie. Has got so into cooking. He's got his own knife rack. Oh wow! And he's like, he's become really good. Amazing. And they make the Cuban sandwiches and stuff. I don't know if you've seen that movie. No. It's well worth watching. <laughs> it's called Chef. Is it's it? just called I've Chef. I've not heard of it. It's about some. I feel he's like, like a. Co- I've like. I just. I, I'm s- there's so much in my life that I can't. I write, yeah. I'm writing it down in a note now. <laughs> so both chef. the mo- watch the movie first and then watch this the series because it it. And, oh, so na- and nailed it. So on hungry. Netflix as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right, great. And nailed it on Netflix as well. And nailed, and nailed it. it on Netflix. So as well. good. But, what but someone told me Chef's Table's amazing, and I forced myself oh, through yeah. the first series and was Wasn't... like, I am bored. Yeah, <laughs> I've not no, seen I am bored of these guys long, rambling, earnest, <laughs> pious, self-aggrandizing. Is it proper? Story. Everyone's apparently a rags to riches. Oh, okay, Everybody's. Yeah. Doing their bit to be unique I used to and cook save on the, the streets. planet, and then you meet. Yeah, it's always. <laughs> I was born as a tiny baby. Oh, poor you. And then there's got to the extent where there was one who was like, "I change my menu every night," and you're like, "Well, you're clearly Jesus. on the edge of a fucking breakdown. <laughs> Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you change it every night?" But also, I, was like, I didn't come away from it feeling zen or inspired no. or hungry. And I think the least you can do if you're a food program is make me bloody yeah, peckish. exactly. <laughs> well, the, the the chef program is great because they do. I mean, they the one episode they they make a cheese sandwich. Oh, but well, it's there we go. Fucking amazing yeah, cheese yeah, sandwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheese grill or whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's completely rad, um, radicalised my uh, approach to cheese, cheese sandwiches. Oh, there's so much butter on my cheese sandwiches now. <laughs> coat. Is that the secret? Butter. Yeah, yeah. Just butter every ounce of it. Stick it in. Well, that's a secret a for most cooking, probably, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, oh, apparently, it's a secret. Butter. You know, when you have mash in like a posh restaurant and it's oh, yeah. off the charts, yeah. it's because it's fifty percent potato, fifty percent yeah. butter. Oh yeah. What a quenelle of potato. Oh, I don't know. I got <laughs> genuinely my mouth just did something. Then I a shudder. Quenelle. It's, good, it's a good mash. word, isn't it? Quenelle. Yeah, great word. I can't do it's them though. Word. Have you the 
I used to be able to. I had to did a bit of silver service waitressing did you? in my teens. Yeah, I could take the head off a fish in front of people. <laughs> so you had to do it at the table. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. I Aww. still. I didn't last very long in that job though, because obviously it was a very <laughs> posh foodie place, and I still, even though I could do all that, looked very scruffy. <laughs> 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 Constantly getting covered in food and a slightly unironed shirt, like right now. <laughs> like I didn't. Yeah. What? Wild all different types of, of fish, or one particular type of fish? I can't remember the particular type of. Oh no! I mean, the restaurant probably only did a couple. It was an Italian restaurant. Probably. Okay. Yeah. Because hus, I remember my nan used to always buy hus because right. it's only got the back, it's literally just got the one bone in it. So it's really easy to fill it. Yeah. You just rip, rip out the... Feels like doing a really sort of crap magic trick, doesn't it? Yeah. Now remove the head of this fish. Right, done. Enjoy your meal. Yeah. <laughs> See you later. We would do that. I think we. I would do that with two spoons. Really? Yeah. Ooh. And then you'd have to, you'd have to Serrated the spoons. ice cream at the end. <laughs> Not with the fish. Yeah. So you had to serve everything at the table? Yeah. Oh, God. That I is a lot of pressure. I lasted one summer. I lived in a very touristy yeah. seaside town and I lasted one summer in a posh place. The only thing I've Be ever been well. served at the table, I don't eat out very well, is in the States we had, they did a Caesar salad at the table. Ooh. Oh, what, made the whole thing? Yeah. Wow. That's just... That's just a bowl. That's just putting stuff in a bowl. Is that tossed? I mean, they've tossed They tossed the salad, basically, yeah. yeah. I think they grated, <laughs> grated the cheese. Oh, and very stuff. nice. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Nice. And then, like, yeah. But quite often you're brought a salad Caesar. and they grate in front of you. Yeah. Oh, well, that's true. The well, any, of the old... any Italian restaurant, you get your big pepper and your. Yeah. <laughs> 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 anyway. Hi. Jessica Foster Q, welcome to the Blank Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. I was really podcast. worried about getting your name wrong because you know, sometimes you see, you look at names. Yeah. And then. But you don't read it properly. No, I, do you know what? Um, please never be worried. I think most people with a tricky to say surname have chilled out about it. Yeah. In yeah. a lifetime by now. Yeah. 36 years of having variations on it, especially as a stand-up when part of your job involves yeah. having your name be announced if you're on a mixed bill. Um, I've had so many variations. Well, funny enough, I went on IMDb, right, just to double-check, and they had also known as, like you were on Crime Watch or something, you know, like wow. <laughs> also known as, what? well, Fortescue, which I guess was a, an obvious kind of, I can't remember what the other one was. But it's just because it's been misspelled. In yeah, yeah. Reddits. Basically known as errors. Yeah. Yeah, various errors. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> I had a um, tennis teacher when I was a kid who called me Osterfew. I just thought that was how he said it. But my favourite, once I was introduced onto the stage, someone panicked so much. They went, please welcome to the stage, Jessica Frostitute. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And once, a lovely, brilliant comedian called Jonathan Mayer, who's an app, he's the most brilliant MC and a lovely man, but he, the first time I worked with him, panicked so much about saying Foster Q, he introduced me as Jeffrey Foster Q. Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't care less if anybody one. ever says my name wrong. It's the moral Oh, good, but I'm glad that's not... <laughs> oh, good. And relax. And relax. Well, so you've said it now, it's done I know, now. I know. Yeah, it's out there. <laughs> so, normally we start off by talking about school. Okay. How was school? Was school good? I tried to find out where you're from originally. I couldn't find it. Oh, that, that's that seems like a mystery. That's a total to know, mystery. The, so, where I, are you from? I tell everything, everyone, everything about me. <laughs> and it's really nice to know that one thing is hard to find out. And now I'm going to ruin it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I grew up in Swanage in Dorset. Okay. Yeah. Sort of the south, Ooh, just west coast. That's really, that's really yeah. nice part of the world. It's very beautiful, the Jurassic yeah. Coast. Mm. Yeah. But it's also. Was then anyway quite bumpkiny. What you going to say? Boring, but yeah, boring in the winters, thing. amazing in the summers. Um, yeah, I 
uh, school's a mixture of things. I, d- I don't think I ever hated school. I was never that kid who dreaded going in. Um, uh, I, qu- I quite loved the learning side of it. I think up until I was about... Um, we had a weird thing. We had first school and then a middle school. Oh, and then yeah. an upper school. We had that. Did you? Yeah. yeah. So I went to a school... What, what age is that? So middle school was when, when you were 9 to you were 13. So first school for four years, then oh. middle school for four years, then you went up yeah. and did one year before you started your GCSEs, yeah, oh, right. okay. at an upper school. They kind of abolished it when I got to middle school. Right. And then they suddenly went, nah. Oh, because we went, went straight to year 11. No, year 10. No. Seven. I was seven, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so seven. Year seven and I was 10, that's right. And then, yeah, to year yeah. seven. So um, well, I've they've homogenised it now, and they're everywhere. Yeah. It's just a f- but um, but mine was one of the last surviving. So there's <laughs> three different sites. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and I I think at f- all through first school, even though I was really into um, le- the learning side of it, I was a um, bit naughty. Were you? And I only ever had, if I was lucky, one friend at a time. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was a bit of a loser. <laughs> I think when you I, say at a time, to what, you just like, bumped off just, one friend no, and got a new one? No, not at all. Like, I think basically I didn't really have any friends. Okay. I was an only child and I probably wasn't sure how to make them, now I think about it. And then um, I would just kind of lone ranger it about and the only memories I have of of really random things, like there was a some weird kids that got bullied quite a lot and I'd try and intervene with that but it still didn't make them want to be my friend <laughs> and then um, um, I had a best friend called William Spickett oh, what a name. Um, whose parents owned a, um, a like a gr- an old fashioned grocery shop with sweeties oh, cool. and stuff in it and if we were, if I went round to his after school for dinner for pudding even though the shop was shut we'd be allowed to go into the shop mm. and choose an ice cream from the cabinet Amazing. nice fucking bollocks yeah. <laughs> um, good choice of friends what yeah. kind of uh, like Funny feet and things like that. Funny those? feet, Mars bar ice cream, Snicker oh, ice cream. Yeah. Um, what them ones called that where they looked like sick but they tasted of toffee. They were zooms. Zoom, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were. Zoom real had good. the trickle of No, colours. I'm not thinking of Zoom then. Oh god. Fab. Fab no, it wasn't a no, fab. That's got Fab had um, all the um Oh god bombs on it. Oh god. They had they toffee called? in, didn't they? They were all swirly, like they looked like frozen Twister. puke. No, <laughs> it was like a mess, like tie-dye-looking oblong on a stick, oh, and they tasted really that. of toffee. I don't remember those. Oh god, well, they were the best. I don't think I must have never had one because I don't. Yeah, know. I mean we're gonna have to look this out. Google. Sorry. Keep talking. I'm uh, gonna Google it. I'm trying to use the internal Google more. Okay. Um, which is my brain. What keyword yeah. shall I use for the Google? Um, toffee ice toffee cream. Toffee ice cream from the 90s. From the 90s, yeah, anyway. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, yes, yeah, a bit of a sort of Lone Ranger and then got up to so middle school. William Spickett. William, dear William Spickett, <laughs> I um, haven't stayed in touch with him. He's like a nursery well. rhyme character. doing very well. <laughs> it does a little bit, yeah. It's a great name, isn't yeah. it? And it was called Spickett Stores, I think. Oh, shop. fantastic. Um, they were so lovely, yeah. And then, uh, I don't know, I guess I kind of, uh, once I got to middle school, got... I was about to say pubetic. That's not the word, is it? P- into puberty. Yeah, yeah. I think I then desired the f- the company of girls as well, and um, sort of went all out. Had to really shark down, shark hunt, battle my way into some groups of girls. It wasn't easy. <laughs> it involved a lot of deception, begging, <laughs> um, and then it didn't well always work out that great. The first group of girls that, who let me be their friend were called the Toilet Posse. Nice. Because that's where they spent their break times. That's how cool they were. <laughs> Internal toilets or a- yeah. external? Oh, we, it was, it, by this point, we were well into the 90s, so we did have indoor toilets. Okay. Yeah. 
Even the toilet Dorset. Posse. The toilet posse. Wow. Name ever. I don't oh, think yeah, they called yeah. themselves that, but it's how we were known. Oh, um, yeah, I remember we used to get bollocked for go- hanging around the toilets. You oh, we were you? constantly bollocked yeah. for it, yeah. We were scum. We used to do things like, <laughs> well, me and my f- Hayley, who was the leader of the toilet posse, used to um, sort of stalk all around Swanage with our, like, look- with our heads down looking for any dog ends. Oh, like oh, half-smoked cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pick yeah. them up, pocket them. And then find a shrub to hide in. Make a prison rolly. Yeah, find a shrub to hide in and smoke these. Classic toilet posse. Yeah. Classic toilet posse <laughs> behaviour. We were. Mm. Was it, by the way, was it jello pudding pods? No, it wasn't jello no, pudding No, I never heard of that, pods. to be fair. They sound a bit they, they, American. That, yeah, yeah, that does sound <sighs> a bit American. Oh, God. Oh, God. I really do. We'll think of it. We'll think yeah. of it. We'll, we'll. Uh, so, yeah, toilet posse. Um, and they, to get in with them, I had to. Um, was there a ritual? Like yeah, that, well, yeah. at the time <laughs> I said. I, I've probably I've never been very good at flirting socially or romantically and just said that please might be allowed in your friends and um, the leader um, Hayley said um, have you got the Take That album Everything Changes and I said yeah of course I have and she went um, bring it in tomorrow oh. and so I had to go home and phone my dad who was on his worked in London but was on his way home that night thank fuck I said I need it I need it and he stopped at a petrol station that had an hour price I remember they, they used it. to have those at the petrol <laughs> yeah. stations that was and, cool um, wasn't it thank god brought it home and I just listened to it listened to it listened to it yeah. to as late as I could stay up brought it in and the next day and I was allowed in the did wow. they sort of test you on the songs and lyrics and stuff or? I knew them all yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you, had you formed a favourite uh, take that member by then Robbie okay yeah. Oh my God. I'm just literally one of my least favourite humans on the planet now. <laughs> yeah. Oh my oh, God. Oh yeah. I go so far. As the stuff he's saying after his wife had gave him birth. Yeah, that oh, was horrendous. Yeah, oh yeah I God, heard that. What a yeah. Disgusting yeah. man. Yeah. Anyway, um, sorry. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> but at the time, yeah, all about the curtains, yeah. wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, he did have the, the curtains. Cur- you're right. I had curtains as my well. My wife always liked Mark. Yeah. Because I guess he was a bit more un- unassuming. Yeah, well, that's funny, isn't it? Um, I think even then as well, I had a bit of a thing for Jason. Yeah. Got to keep your eye on the underdog. (laughs) (laughs) So you got into the toilet posse. That was a good time, was it, in the toilet posse? Um, It wasn't a particularly secure time, I don't think. Um, Always looking behind your back just for the next... To be no, bumped out. By yeah, it wasn't. I think we would take turns being oh. relatively horrible to each other. I um, I then, I don't know. I, that was pretty young, you know, with them. That was probably about ten, eleven, and there was there were so is that like rocky you... times happening at home then as well, right? Um, so I, I wouldn't say that was a particularly happy time no. between sort of uh, nine and twelve, thirteen. And then once I got a bit older, I started to very slowly and for the first time using showing off and humour make my way into a really cool group of girls um, who were very clever and all the head girls and to captain all the sports teams, like the Mm. alpha group. Um, Were you being conscious about being funny and stuff? Was that like a conscious decision to be like that? Do you know what I think I was, was, yeah. Just actually being more yourself, perhaps, maybe? There was an element of being all myself, Mm. but there was definitely an element of, I'm not going to get into this group by being the cleverest. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get in by being the best looking. Um, But this is what I've got. I can really make these people laugh. And that is power. I think even Mm. at 13, I was aware that this could be my power Mm. socially. Mm. Um... And you know, you know, it wasn't, you know, I, 
oh, you never know security there. But I look back now and go, yeah, you could have, you could have vied for clever, you could have vied for looks, but you, that, that wasn't part of my until my mid thirties part of something I'd ever mm-hmm. s- say about myself. And then it was, yeah, I don't know. And then even then, I'd say I was in there with them, and um, it was a brutal few years where we weren't good to each other Mm. I don't know many teenagers who are at that age and then something clicked about 16 years old somewhere between 15 and 17 and something clicked and we just stopped being cunts can you say that on here Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah. just something just I just think there's some maturity happened in all of our hearts I don't have to put it in a less romantic way but just something beautiful happened and we're still the closest friends now We've all been talking in a WhatsApp group this morning. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, and we're all 36, between 35 and 37 now. And we've all got kids the same age, and it's magic. And we've had patches in our lives where we've become much more distant from each other. Yeah. We went off to unis and different places mm. and stuff like that. But I think it's incredible. I feel deeply grateful and yeah. emotional about the fact that I'm still friends with those friends. And some of them I knew from when I was four or five, you know. And they were the coolest group as well. They were the coolest. So you're friends with the coolest group. That's kind of the idea of having your own tribe, isn't it? Like we we do kind of. Yeah, but I think that's rare that from that age to still be friends with people. I think a lot drift away and drift apart, or realize you've got nothing in common. That's to still all be that close is pretty cool. It's really cool. Yeah, I think it's um yeah massive amount of gratitude for it. Yeah. Yeah, we're all very. We've all they've all they've been through stuff. Everyone's Mm. been through stuff. Everyone's weathered it. Yeah. Yeah. So is everyone still in to take that? No. Mm, that, no. That, that was the toilet posse. That was the toilet posse. Oh, yeah, that was the toilet posse. Yeah, Sorry, that, that was the toilet posse. <laughs> <laughs> so, hang on, wait, was there not, so was there not an album or a, for the next group then? For the cool group? Do you know what I don't think there was? They were all really into friends. I and really I faked it for a year or so, but I was <laughs> not fast. I love friends. friends. They would have friends marathon nights. I like it. And I'd watch one and be like, ah, ha, ha. But by <laughs> episode four, I'd be trying to scratch my eyeballs out. Yeah. <laughs> and I... they was all still loving it. And they I can get all still quote with you bits of it and stuff. Mm. Yeah, Couldn't give a I, shit. I, yeah, I'm a bit like that. I'm a bit indifferent to friends. Yeah. I know it's like controversial to say that, but I am now. I but I remember it. at that age being really into friends as well. Well, it was. Right. I think because th- you thought it made you clever to be into sort of a witty yeah. American sitcom. Yeah. In hindsight, it definitely yeah. didn't. It was probably <laughs> like it was just a faddy thing. It was like the yeah. Twilight or the yeah. Frozen of its day. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. Yeah. So that's interesting. You were saying about. Having that oh wait, sorry, Giles, to interrupt. Sorry, is it no, a no. feast? No. Oh that's god, chocolate. I thought you were so close there, but that's. But I that's what like it's so close. Is that what it looks like? Chocolate? No, it's an oblong like that, but it's swirly. I think it's it's got a Z in the name. It might be something like. Oh, I'm really struggling here. Oh, oh, okay. Is it? Is it? I think I've got it. Is it a bonanza? No, that's a bar. It's got a Z in the name though. No, it's something Bonanza. Like it's on a stick. It's on a stick. ice cream. Bonanza. It's on a stick. It's on a stick. Oh, that is the least inspiring uh, ice cream name. There's one here just that's called... A, that's a three in the morning... It's quite a simple name. I'm going to have to look it up. There's one here just called Choc Ice, but I think that's a very no, poor name not. for an ice cream. Don't you think? Choc Ice. Very lazy. Bonanza is such anything. a lame name for an ice cream. Um, it's not great. It sounds more like a sort of a roller coaster. I'm sorry. I'm struggling here. So anyway, both... The other people in the room are on their phones. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I've got to find this it out. This is like every normal day. I can't day bear it. <laughs> I'm um, giving up. Paddle pop? Did we try mm, that one? No, you're look, I don't know what your settings are, but yours well, are, these are all... F- this is my poster that says Ireland's favourite ice cream. So I'm getting closer. I was in America previously, so I'm 
I'm getting closer in. I don't well, think could you not put UK? I'm going to give up, I think. Oh, Jesus. This is, uh, this is great podcasting. This is right great there. podcasting. Like, really yeah, yeah. Is, is it this one? We'll keep all this in as well. Hang on. Oh, God. <laughs> is it that one? Top right. It's the next right. It's the next to it. It's that not the chocolatey one. one. It's the one next to it. What's Ooh. that? Okay, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find so it. So it's like a kind of rainbow yes, colored sicky, thing. Yes, sicky, swirly, gross. Oh, sort of. Okay, wait. That we're, cl- look like we're closing in. It's just like one of those crime we're podcasts really when they like, get in. into like, the murder wars. Why hasn't someone made this, actually? The white, I mean, there's enough, <laughs> not that there's not enough crime podcasts in the world. Yeah. But actually, finding out without Google, through whatever means you can, yeah. mind you, we'd be just used to it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's what well, I was talking seen, about. Now oh. I've seen a picture of it. Well, this is interesting. Because yep. according to BuzzFeed, um, it's a paddle pop. No, that's not what it's called in the UK. Right, so it had a different... So I'm again, I'm, I'm on the wrong one. BuzzFeed pop. Australia, sorry. I'm going all around the world <laughs> Paddle here. pop is fine, but I'm sure you've got lots of what, Australian listeners. How disappointing, listeners though, because that looks like now. it would be a flavoursome right, concoction. Well, it looked like it would be all fruited, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. And then it was like, no, that tastes like That looks like a fruit cocktail of... Yeah. Fruit cocktail of delight, right, and it's not. Coconut. Mess. Right, I'm giving up, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> I was saying, no, it was interesting, that, that realisation about comedy... Had you, did you at that time start to think maybe that comedy could be oh, a... No way. No. No way. So I, what was uh, it then? What were you thinking about then that you could maybe do? I didn't have a do? clue what I'd want to do for a job as a kid. At one point, I think I was asked so often, what do you want to do when you're a grown-up? I just said architect. <laughs> and um, Sounds proper, doesn't it? Yeah, and then, you know, everyone sort of took that very seriously. And at one point, I thought, oh, God, I've got to try and draw a picture of a house. And I was like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> I don't want to draw a detailed picture of a house. <laughs> um, so that went out the window. No, I never had any set... De- I never. I wasn't a particularly decisive. I did, I, do you know what? I was never, as a child, and I'm not now, very good at looking very far into the future mm. and feeling in any way. I find it f- very unsettling to try and look too far ahead. Um, it's taken me a long time to realise that. Mm. Um, no, I did a play at school, at middle school, when I was about 10... Uh, a very new play for schools that was very good, very funny, called Aussie and the Thwarts. And I auditioned for, there was a, like um, the lead baddie and the lead goodie. And I auditioned for both and ended up getting the part of the baddie, who is my friend Maya, who's mm-hmm. in the friends I'm still friends with. Um, uh, she was the like the villain and I was her henchman. Nice. Um, called Grovel. And I had an amazing time in that play and got a lot of laughs. And I think that helped. I now look back and realise I was doing an exact impression of Richie from Bottom. Okay. <laughs> um, but at the time, was it slapstick Perhaps enough of the parents in the audience said, no, it was grotesque. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> really sort of hunched over. And I've always been very happy doing that, being gross in a character or a face or an impersonation. I think it's really funny. And if you're not prepared to go there, then there's something wrong with you. If you're a clown, that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, so that was fun. And then I did Amdram. Maya and I did drama classes in Poole and Bournemouth. And then we did stuff with the Perbet players. Oh. <laughs> and um, in 1997, I uh, won Best Actress in the Dorset Drama League oh in, uh, as a goodness. dragon in a fat suit that I didn't need. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, oh, wow. I was so shit. It was, a, it was a terrible musical called A Dragon for Dinner. 
and I it, I was told a week into rehearsal to stop singing my songs because I was putting the other children off. <laughs> <laughs> Not very good at singing. Um, yeah, that was horrible. And I think that might have been the last thing I did after that. I was like, why? Well, you know, I'm 14 yeah. now. Why am I still bothering with this? Um, no, and then I did law at uni. Oh, okay. I uh, loved um, essay subjects. So yeah. quite ac- really academic then. Well, I really... Yeah, it wasn't bad. Mm. Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> um, I really loved history at most and philosophy. I did philosophy, religion, and ethics A level. Those two were the, sh- sh- the tits. Mm. Um, and I'd co- an English literature was all right. So I was like, I, do you know, I now look back and, uh, you know, everything happens for a reason or there's a reason why everything happens. But I, at the time, I thought if I go and study something academic at uni, then I'll just float about not knowing what I want to do. So pick something vocational mm. which applies those things and so did law much to my parents joy and then mm-hmm. came out and then didn't know what I wanted to do anyway <laughs> and <laughs> never used it um yeah they're all subjects that where you're questioning stuff quite a lot are you yeah. are you that kind of person I am yeah, yeah. And, yeah and I'm trying the older I get to maintain and expand that as an attitude as opposed to do the opposite which I know starts happening <laughs> our brains change don't they and mm. We need to feel sure in answers because we're scared as we get older. But I um, is that true? I think so. Yeah, that's interesting. I've noticed it happening with driving. I drive a lot more carefully than I used to. I'm very wary. It's very. Yeah. I think you just close that little bit as as you get closer to death. You your fear grows. I think. I read this incredible yeah. book by a man. Be more aware of our mortality. I guess. Yeah, I read this amazing book that um, my friend Sarah Pascoe gave me as a gift, which changed. I love it when you occasionally read something that fundamentally changes your outlook and it's called The Heretics by a guy called Will Storr and it's, uh, it starts off as feeling like um, it, it starts like a Louis Theroux book or something you know it's kind of quite scathing investigative journalism into big groups of weirdos like Scientologists and <coughs> excuse me people who I believe in you know odd things mm. um, very far right extremists stuff like that um, but about halfway through the book there's a real gear change and um Without spoiling too much, I mean, it's a huge spoiler. <laughs> I, it's the first time it made it really made me think properly for the first time about the the bubbles that we live in, about confirmation yeah. bias, and uh, and and by the end of it, you I, you I, you has you asking have me asking the question, how do you know if anything you think is right is right? If there is always a chance, I mean, the simplest idea of it is in two sides of every war, everybody thinks God's on their side and that mm, they're doing yeah. it for the best, and that. You know, and but actually, if you expand that idea to its ex- biggest extreme, then you'd have to consider that the people in the world who you think are abjectly evil might be right, and you might be wrong. <laughs> yeah. And that, if you can countenance even thinking about that, I mean, if you, if you live your life entirely like that, I think you'd be mad. Mm. But um, it's I, it's absolutely changed the way I think about uh, disagreement and argument yeah. and difference. That I think that's a very useful way to think, certainly at the moment. We talk yeah. about this on the pod about, you know, it's very yeah. binary kind of world we live in. And also things aren't that black and white. Like people you might despise on, say, the other side of the political kind of spectrum might be wrong about a lot, but they might have certain things they're right about. It might not yeah. be they're wrong or right about everything. Yeah. And even just accepting that and, and acknowledging that yeah. is kind of a progressive thought, isn't it? Yeah. Super progressive and also, oh, I don't know. Yeah, find somewhere. If you can be anywhere on the spectrum of that, I suppose that's where compassion comes from, isn't it, really? Yeah. 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 But it is difficult. Um, it is difficult to think like that. Super difficult to think like that and impossible to think like it all the time and in mm. all ways. And also, if you think like that in its entirety, then you can never make any decisions. Yeah. So. 
<laughs> Very true. Which I definitely, I'm, moderation I'm terrible moderation. making decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm terrible making decisions. I always have been, yeah. yeah. Although I'm actually working on that as well as I get older. Like I literally buy, if I see like a item of clothing I like, like a nice polo, I have to buy two or three different sizes. Really? Because I can't, if I buy one, I think, oh, this is too tight. And then I buy the next one, I think, that's too loose. I can never be, it's like Goldilocks. Really? I can never be like, I've, I've literally at home now got two or three versions of the same, two or three different polos. Isn't that weird? Do you not try them on in the quite shop? Weird. I, was like, I thought you were going to say you just didn't have time to try them on. Yeah. No. But do you think some days you're like, I feel like wearing a tight top today. I, some days yeah. I feel like wearing a baggy top. Sometimes. I, felt, I really felt like wearing a baggy shirt today. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If it's a hotter day, I'm yeah. like, oh, I need like a But you baggy, like the top so much. But I worry so much about clothes that I wear that they don't fit. And really? no one else cares. Nobody uh, else cares. Yeah. And yet, and no one else will see that and think, well, that's too small. <laughs> I don't know. It just really... No, I worry about that. That's a self-conscious yeah. thing, though, isn't it? So you're obviously self-conscious about the way you look. Must perhaps. be, yeah. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. That weird fear's got a thing he coming knows in. knows where that comes from. Bonkers. Yeah. You're bonkers, Jim. I am bonkers. We all <laughs> are. We yeah. all are. We all are. You're right. Yeah. So, all right, so you did law. So when did when did you think about doing getting into comedy? Um, I did. So I did law, and then I... By, about a year in, I think I already knew I, I probably wasn't going to be a lawyer, but I flirted briefly with the idea of becoming a barrister after that, and then I just, I, I, I can't remember when it was specifically. I was working in a, I'd been working in a wine bar, coffee shop when I was a student, and various other jobs, but that job. But then I got offered to be the manager of it for an actual salary, so I was like, well, I'll take that. Mm. I want to work out what I want to do. And um, did some travelling and stuff. And midway through some that sort of post-degree, working out what was going on, someone asked me to... Um, in fact, the father of my child, uh, my ex, asked me to... Um, who worked in a coffee shop. He worked in a video shop next to the coffee shop I was working in. So oh. there's this BBC competition called yeah, Finish yeah, yeah. This Sitcom, where you, you know, there's the first ten minutes of a sitcom and you have to write the next. Uh, and we did that together very, very badly. Didn't even get shortlisted <laughs> and then some other thing came up to write some sketches and we did and they got put in this thing and I went to watch it and um, there were people doing improvised comedy in it it was a really really be careful <laughs> it, it was a a group called Mixed Nuts <laughs> M-I-X-T-N-U-T-Z well, no. Um, the idea of which oh, was goodness. they were a very diverse group, but I mean, I still had a lot of white middle class people yeah. in there for a group that was called Mixed Nuts. Mm. Anyway, I loved to watch the bit of improv that I saw, just a little bit of short form, like whose line is it anyway? Improv. I was like, oh, people do this live. I had no idea. It's totally green. I'd probably seen live stand up once. I saw it in Freshers Week mm. at first at uni. Um, one liner comic, can't remember who it was, but roared with laughter. And then I, somebody took me to the comedy store once and I didn't love it at all. I found it really testosterone and the, mm. the open spot that was on had a terrible gig and I found it excruciating. So mm -hmm. I'd never thought about it. And then, yeah, so I went to see this improv and I asked the guy who'd accepted the sketches that they'd done live in this show and said, Can I have a go at that improv? And he said, Yeah. And then I did that. And then it, it, there were an incredible, incredible few people in that group as well I met. Carrie had Lloyd, oh, wow. and then um, I, I think she might have been the only one who was in Mixed Nuts, but through her, I joined a much better, much, 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 much better improv group called The Institute with 
Cariad, Lloyd, Sarah Pascoe, Gemma Whelan, a guy called Paul Foxcroft, mm. who's wow. like very one of the kings of improv. Um, it was an amazing uh, Gemma Arrowsmith. Um, there's some incredible, <laughs> incredible alumni yeah. in that improv group, and um, yeah, we had a residency at the um, Canal Cafe Theatre up in Marylebone. Yeah. Uh, so doing improv was one of the first things you did. Is quite full on, isn't it? Yeah. Like you know. Yeah, and I did that for years, and I loved it. And I don't really do it anymore. I'm Cariad, I think, is one of the most incredible improvisers who's ever lived. Mm-hmm. And she still does loads of it. Um, uh, but then, yeah, Pasco started stand-up, and I watched her, the trials and tribulations of that. We all wanted to be actors. Um, we were all working other jobs as well. I got, I did a few things, like a thing called News Review. And mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah my like, wife's done that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. And then... Um, 2006, a long time ago, and then I did a, a thing called Shakespeare for Breakfast in 2007. And those are the beginning things, but then I, I badly, I don't know, not badly, but I thought, well, if I am, um, I, I want to be seen as an actor, I want to get act, more acting work, and that seems to be happening for Sarah, so maybe I'll have a go at it. So without having really seen any stand up or done any research, <laughs> I just sort of bowled into it. Um, for the reason of trying to get better acting work, which a, l- a lot of people were doing at the time, so you just saw it and it was making stone. it was making professional comedians who worked in the club circuit, who I I don't know at the time how nurturing they were of their new comedians, but at the time yeah. you could move quite quickly into low paid work and then into well paid club work. Um, already though, times were changing on that front, and the money hadn't changed for probably already ten years. The 90s. In the 90s, you could work in clubs, comedy clubs at weekends and be very, very well-off swanky pants. And then already by 2009, when I started, um, that you, people, I suppose we just had the crash as well, but people mm-hmm. were just starting to feel the, the rub of that life mm-hmm. if you weren't getting extra work, you know, other stuff on top of it. So anyway, yeah, I went in deep and I thought, I'm going to do it, do it properly. I gigged at least three, four nights a week. And... Um, Worked very, very hard. And How were those first gigs? The first one was extraordinary. I only had to do two or three minutes. And I loved it. And I was so scared before and so high afterwards. I was like, oh, this is going to be very addictive. Mm, yeah. And then about six months in, everything changes, where you start actually expecting an enormous amount more from yourself. When your idea of a good gig is, mm. is it goes from something that was, I think, just survival into, no, I w- there's a difference between how audiences can laugh, whether you've got them, whether they're... I was so frenetic in my early years on stage to mask my nerves that I was... There's real aggression about me that I think just terrified <laughs> some audiences <laughs> into ch- sort of scared <laughs> laughter. Um, there was no nuance to it. It was very rude. It was very um, impassioned. And then I think it just took me... I think I was shit for years. Um, never really, really shit. I think you do get people who stay really shit for so long and you go, oh, don't do it, you know, don't yeah. do this. Don't do this forever. There's so many things to do. Yeah. And you're so clever often or so whatever, but but it was, um, it took me really, it took me a decade to get good at it. And it's been a really interesting path in the sense that it took me a decade to calm down. Mm. And now I think I've got the skills to be angry again and be <laughs> impassioned okay, again yeah. and, particularly rude but yeah because <laughs> your latest show is no, about strength and stuff isn't yeah. it yeah the hench mm. 
But I know you've said in the press that um, it also shows a lot of your vulnerabilities. Yeah, that's exactly what it's really about. Yeah. 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 Um, Was it hard to write, though, with that in mind? No, actually. I think it's very easy to write stand-up about your weakness. Um, So I've always mined my life. That's always been what I've done in my stand-up. And and in recent years, whilst my stand-up's kind of settled down into... I mean, for years, I'd have a bit of... Even within 20 minutes, I'd be doing a bit of observational stuff, a couple of one-liners, one massive sort of heart-wrenching anecdote and like you know I've been 15 comedians in one for yeah. so many years yeah. and now I, I like drawing from stuff that's happened to me and telling big full stories around it where you can really paint the picture and imagine everyone who's there and and not be, um, I was very defensive about having started in acting to start with because there was this real kind of all the pros would be like you, are you an actor yeah. who's just doing this for because you're clogging up the circuit you know so, <laughs> but now I'm like yeah I'm an actor I love acting as much as stand up and um, I want to use that in my set if I can embody if I can really be the person who I'm doing the reenacting the conversation yeah, with yeah, then yeah. do it use it so there's yeah. a lot more of that in there now um no, it's. I think it's easy to write a show about um, things that have gone badly or are going badly. Um, what's harder is to make that. I, the, writing this show, I've had a huge journey throughout it. I've had two years to write it because I didn't go up last year. I was directing some stuff and working on some pilots and other things instead. Um, and also, I don't think you need to go every year to Edinburgh. It's such yeah. an enormous emotional and financial investment, especially when you've got kids. Yeah. Um, so I've had two years to write it, and when I first started writing it, I thought it was going to be a show about how... Um, f- I knew it was going to be about our perceptions of female physical strength um, and power. I knew that much that broadly. I'd already started writing around that theme instinctively. I'd start um, weightlifting for strength, but also... Um, and having some funny conversations and realising about some funny opinions around that. What I didn't realise is when I started writing it, I thought it would also be a show about how feminism is asking a bit too much of me sometimes in terms of self-perception. Um, and actually, now that it's... I mean, let's hope it's finished. I've got a week. <laughs> uh, now that it's very nearly there, <laughs> uh, my self-perception has changed enormously over the course of the last two years. Yeah. It's been very. There's been a lot of change in my life over the last two years outside of work as well. And... Um, and I don't know whether it's, I don't think it's the show that's taken me there, but it's certainly reflected in the show. Yeah. And I guess having to write that kind of stuff does force you to look at yourself a bit, have doesn't to. it? Because you're mining your you personal to. vulnerabilities and everything about yourself. Also, the more people who start taking any notice of your work, the more you realise you have a responsibility to definitely be. If you're someone who's purport, purporting at least to be saying what they think and believe, yeah. you better think and believe it. Yeah. You know, you don't have to have finished conclusions and you're not, it's not a TED talk and you're not no. there to inspire <laughs> yeah. anyone. You are a clown. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to take on themes like that, you should be... All I ask for from comedians that I enjoy is innovation. Mm. And so I have to ask that of myself as well, and honesty. I was about to say, yeah, and honesty. I, I don't ask that of other comedians. I'm very happy to be lied to by brilliant comedians. <laughs> I am, yeah. you know. I but for yourself, there has yeah, to be an authenticity. Think, yeah. yeah, And it, all it needs to be is the the seed at the beginning of a thing. You know, if the, if this the seed of a story you can tell you can tell when something's rooted or seeded from truth it doesn't mean you then don't get trapped in truth because then your writing's trapped you can in terms of the exact way things were said or how characters form as as material takes 
on a life over the year or two years that you use it for yeah mm. what's your, I'm like when you're writing a show what's your kind of writing process like like do you have a set time where you go down and think I'm going to write five ten minutes today or does it just sort of come out when you're sort of doing other shows or yeah it changed dramatically when I um had my kids because I found I can sit down to write narrative things and I can sit down to do stuff I need to do for my podcast or press or whatever and treat that like work and in that sense yeah I block book chunks of time and I you know it's I'm in an ongoing uh battle with productivity and life admin yeah. and uh, and what to do when and how to put myself in a place where um, I can be uh, creative. And with this show, there have been three days, only three days, where I went, right, phone off. And with breaks, where I turn it on, it's an addiction and I need to yeah. control enough to keep my the fatberg of admin under control yeah. enough I'm not calm with the idea of seeing lots of numbers on that icon with the mail or the oh, me yeah. neither. Yeah, I hate that. Yeah. Um, but there have been three only three days where I've sat down with my head in my show listening back to old bits writing bits whatever but I don't <clears throat> work very well like that now um, I don't know what changed after having my kid it's just something in my brain changed or I just acknowledged that something I've been doing badly before anyway I think mm. it could be a big element of that you know yeah. and so now how my process is to have ideas, to have the skeleton of ideas, and certainly what's funny about the story or whatever, and then I take that on stage and I write on stage. So I've been I run my own new material night and I do loads of new material nights and you work these bits up. You flesh it. Um, I have to write new stuff for a podcast called The Guilty Feminist that I do sometimes, and so that forces me to that's forced me to write a lot of material that's ended up in this show. Um, and then your first time you're trying it sometimes is to f- several hundreds, if not thousands of people, but they're the loveliest audience in the universe if you have to do new material to them. Um, and I work with a director, and that now is... Mm, I can't describe the value of it. He's worth a lot more than I pay him. <laughs> I hope he's not listening. <laughs> yeah, we sit down and we'll have... Never more than a couple of hours, because I think that's all I've got in me in one burst. But we'll just... Yeah, we'll either... T- What's the, early on in the process we'll talk about the themes and really philosophise and really we really clear up what it is I'm saying and then now we're at the point where I'm like this needs I can't, I can't bear to do all that without there being something funny in there and mm. occasionally it's more a case of him going like is, is there comedy in this angle on it mm. this angle on it this angle like, oh, oh, and then when you get there and that get there and ideas yeah. for callbacks or at least saying that needs to be called back to that needs to be reincorporated brilliant for me that's a, I, I don't know how I do all other types of writing I'm fine with doing on my own. But stand-up, there's something about it where I need collaboration, either from an audience or from a director or a fellow comedian. Mm. That's really interesting. Yeah. What, what made you decide to do that then, to have a get, get a director in? Um, do you know what? I should have done it way sooner because we used mm. to do a thing I, um, with... Um, uh, again, Pasco had the idea uh, of a thing called Right Club where comedians met on a Sunday late morning and we, t- we just take turns it, initially you know hundreds of people were invited um, it was very like let's listen cliquey anyone you know might be up for it here's the time here's the place and then we got there it was at the book club in Shoreditch and um, the only people who turned up were me <laughs> two of you yeah, yeah me Sarah Pascoe <laughs> Lou Sanders and Rachel Stubbings and the four of us ended up doing this thing I think for about a year year and a half and we even like went away together we stayed in my nana's bungalow when she mm. was away one time, and we just went over each other's stand-up. We're all uh, uh, Stubbs doesn't do stand-up anymore. She's an amazing writer and actor, but the other three of us all, um, at the time, the four of us were so different in what we were doing. 
but it was extremely helpful. We also had completely different ways of helping each other. Um, but just learned from that alone, I think, was like, oh, this is a really good way of writing a stand-up comedy. That's amazing. Because yeah. yeah. I think everyone <coughs> thinks of stand-up as a very sort of lonely existence. And actually, you've made it a collaborative thing. It's a beautiful if it's a collaborative thing. And I, I, write, with, I write with and for lots of higher-profile comedians. And I think it's the companionship, especially once you're touring. Mm. And even if you do a new material gig, you're so famous you need to be unannounced. You know, it's... You want your friends around you. Everyone's got this group of comedian friends who they who start anyone who started around roughly the same time as you. And then, you know, as people's careers change, there'll be people who you end up working with a bit more because of the types of mm. brother you know, <coughs> telly yeah. or podcasts, whatever you do. They you've got to make real friends in that world. You've got to make a few. Mm. Even if you've kept your civilian friends, which I highly recommend. <laughs> yeah. New comedians are listening. Keep your real people in your life. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be lonely at all. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm. Depends what kind of person you are, though. I think some people choose yeah. to be a stand-up because they love their... And they're really great in their own company. I'm not like that. I I think there's people who get their energy from being alone and there's people who get their energy from being uh, with others, and I'm definitely gregarious. Yeah. yeah, but even that kind of sharing, you know, sharing material, sharing ideas, that because yeah. it's your, you know, it's a, real, it's a part of you. Yeah. And actually, that can be quite scary, can't it? Yeah. Uh, also, I think it's just to answer your question about directing, it's just more people do it now. I think people have realised the value of it. I've done a bit of directing for the last couple of years. I don't think I'll do any more, not because I hated it, because I, as much as I enjoyed it, I was like, this is an enormous expenditure of effort for something I don't want to be doing yeah. in the future, so why would I be spending this effort <coughs> on it now? But I had a great time doing it. It's really interesting trying to get your head inside well, someone you, else's show. Are you slightly mentoring as well? There's an element extent. of that with some of them, but then some of them are my, some of them are my peers and some of them are yeah. people who are better, you know, um, better than me. <laughs> so that's fascinating. You're like, oh, you know, mm. uh, we're both, I'm learning as much as, I, I didn't learn, not learn anything from anyone I've ever worked with in a directing capacity, but it's um, it's just, the, the reason why I would highly recommend it once you're writing whole hours anyway, for any comedian to work with other comedians or work with a director, and you, I think it's a bit like a shrink, you might find a few duffs before you get yeah, to the one yeah, who's yeah. really helping you out. They need to be able to help you in a way that doesn't ever hurt you. Yeah. And everyone's gonna need a different director for that, how prideful you are or how sensitive you are. Yeah. I can't bear notes immediately after I've been on stage from anyone. Um, even if I can't even really bear compliments within an 20 minutes of coming off stage. I had a preview the other night, it's probably one of the best gigs of my whole life, and within 20 minutes of coming off stage, a friend was just saying the loveliest things, and I, and something in me went, man, I hate it. <laughs> I was crushed. Really? I was like, so, what's wrong with me? Why am I sabotaging these compliments into, it's, I, it's such a fragile time, that 20 minutes, half an hour after you've been off stage. Um, but it's sorry, just because it's unwanted. Not, uh, no, no, it's, no, it's, it's interesting. It's not that unwanted. I just think they're so sensitive. It's just noise. You've, as soon as you come off stage, you are. I am. Stop saying you are like it's everyone. I am an open wound. You cannot touch it, even if you're trying to stroke it. So you yeah, just need to sit. True, with it. I just need to be on yeah. my own for a bit. Yeah. yeah. And everyone like processes that time after being on stage. Yeah. It's not after every gig, but after any brilliant or awful or or big so it's or extreme important or way. yeah yeah um but no the, the reason why i'd highly recommend having a director once you're doing hours or doing anything themed or narrative anyway is because it's impossible to watch your own show mm. even if you film it 
you watching it, you won't be watching it. Yeah. Like an audience will ever watch it, or yeah. a critic will ever watch it, or an industry member will ever watch it. You just can't. Or a writer will ever watch it. You cannot watch yourself like that. I don't think it's cap- it's possible to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a, also it's a sign of how people take, how seriously people are taking stand-up comedy as a career. You know, the mm-hmm. kids going into it, going, I'll yeah. do that for a job. I don't think that happened. I think it was the waifs and strays, wasn't it? Until a decade or so ago, going, mm-hmm. well, there's nothing else I want to do. I'll give that back. <laughs> You know, it certainly was, I, I wanted to do something else. And now people yeah. are like, no, I'm doing my research, you know, go study it at uni yeah. if you want. You can, yeah. fascinating. And then, the, so of course, it's of directing stand-up has become, you know, they'll, all the feeder jobs that have come off that, yeah, being a PR yeah. for stand-ups, yeah. all the, being a producer for stand-ups, being, you know. And having like, having a director a or, industry. Um, you know, people to bounce off, does that help in sort of the blank moments of, of writing? Or sort of yeah. the difficult bits? Oh, God, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, totally. You um, you can uh, you can text your director and go, I can't get, I'm stuck on this. And also, a really good director will go, we'll move on then. That's not for now. Yeah. Or we'll cut that. You know, there's not really anything in this that you're struggling to do. Yeah. You know, and also it depends as well on that guiding you through the bits where I think for me, blanks come up for very different reasons. There can be that thing where you're just, um, this, now's the time you've got to do this and if it's not going to come now, that then you're furious and then once you're furious you're never going to be creative there can be a thing with certainly with edinburgh which i'm at the time of speaking my it's the latest my fear has ever kicked in um normally from about april or may i have horrible horrible dreams (laughs) which are my first sign that there's some anxiety and then bits of my body start giving way eczema or just st- things you get through stress that yeah, are too disgusting yeah. to say out loud. And then, <laughs> um, and then, and then, um, and then a very conscious fear. And this year, I only had w- I've only had one horrible dream so okay. far. We're talking mid July now. Are they directly? Um, oh yeah, it was set in a performance. Oh, okay, cool. yeah. Um, it was sort of three quarters of the way through the fringe. I was having terrible fringe, and um, uh, an ironically very body positive comedian was telling me in this performance bar that I would have been much more successful. What a shame I've wasted all the resources <laughs> I've had this year. Everyone was lo- obviously everyone in the performance, I was watching the conversation and listening to it rather than yeah, talking yeah. about themselves. And she was saying, you'd be so much more successful if you were just a bit thinner. Um, you should take up oh, running. God. And then I started crying and then her and her husband just sat there and explained to me what running was and how to do it. <laughs> while I Matt's just cried and cried and cried. Yeah, <laughs> so explaining me. Um, uh, while everybody watched, yeah, and I sort of woke up. Oh, oh, Jesus Christ! Now, that my, was really um, vivid. my anxiety dreams are not subtle; they're pretty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um, I had one just before I had my son, where um, I was trying to do a gig to a room full of babies, and they weren't listening. I called them all cunts, and I started <laughs> crying. And they all just started screaming and crying and clawing at me. I think that was quite. I wonder what that was about. <laughs> a bit worried about juggling work and parenting. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that fear that kicks in now with Edinburgh, and it has just kicked in now. So this year I've had my best year ever. I only had one dodgy dream. I've had enough of stuff on, and I think for the first time enough confidence in what I'm doing. Not uh, bluster, real confidence yeah. in what I'm doing. That now, you know, I've got a week or so until I'm up there. And I'm now I can feel that it, it, it's possible to manage it, but I can feel that my... So there's an expansion. I physically feel it in my chest. It, there's an expansion inside my chest, and I just need to keep that shit in check because what it does 
is makes you, which I think is a type of blanking, it makes you want to lock down, just decide that what you've got now, show-wise, is fucking brilliant. You need to be really proud of it. You're going to go out there, you're going to sell it. And at some point that's going to need to happen. But actually, I don't think you need to do that until you're a week into being up there. And Mm -hmm. if you can keep working on it even after that point, so if you can just keep that, keep whatever that is, that feeling is that's expanding in your chest small enough to keep being brave and creative and writing and changing and writing and changing, you're going to have the best show that you can do. But if you lock it down too early, my first show, I locked it down in May mm-hmm. 2011. The next one, probably early June. I, you cannot, you know, that's not how you do your best work, is it? You've got to yeah. work on it up until it's there yeah. and it's there. And even up there, your first show or two are the previews, you know, so use every single one. And the difference from one show to the next can be mad. Yeah. My last previews, I did the same show but one to 300 people who were wild for it. And then the next night, I did exactly the same show. I think technically better version of it, certainly more learnt, rather than there was bits mm-hmm. I was reading out the night before, um, to a lovely but much smaller audience of about 70 people. Still really nice, but not wild nice. No. Eight minutes shorter. I've got no fucking idea how long my show is, guys. Wow. <laughs> I know. So that's where I'm at with a week to go before the fringe. <laughs> but what can you do you know let's hope you've got a raucous big busy room every day and then your show's a bit too long and that that being brave thing is interesting as well mm. like i think that's that's how any creative gets better or gets a better show is it's very easy to go inward and go oh that, that'll do well what keeping writing on something is is smashing it down and building it again and actually you know you've got to keep doing that if and it does Oh, bravery sounds a bit up its arse, but you do, you, it does <laughs> well, take I think a bit comedy of a is fair, quite a brave yeah. um, career, isn't it? About that. I think there's... Um, I don't know about brave, actually. I think it depends what type of comedian you are. I think there's a vulnerability to it. Yeah. But I don't think you necessarily need to admit that. To be, Some brilliant comedians have no vulnerability about them whatsoever, uh, ostensibly. You know, so I don't know about that. And also I think there's something so... Um, there's something brave about all sorts of things where you put a bit, a bit of your part, heart into it mm. um, and about any job where you're doing that. So um, the types of comedy I will love watching is where someone's put a bit of their heart in. Um, but that's not going to be for everyone. That's not no. necessarily what looks best on telly, you know. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, or what works best to enormous numbers of, numbers of people. Um yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? But I think most people have got their most people who love their job have got their heart in it. So yeah. Yeah, to that extent, it's no braver than any of them. And in terms of in compared to comparison to other performing jobs or creative jobs, I think stand ups are really basic bitches. Like we get such an immediate reassurance mm-hmm. and such constant reassurance all through our work that actually we, you know, don't know how lucky we are. Mm-hmm. I just did a play for the first time in years um, that was a comedy play but it was also very sort of wordy and clever yeah, and political yeah, yeah. and um, God that was a little little sort of just sort of gentle <laughs> slap at how you yeah. don't you know you, you've got used to so much reassurance from an audience and there were nights where it was you know 50 very elderly people who might have been having a lovely time but we're not going to let you know how to <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine you know but it's sometimes good to dip your toe back into those things, oh, isn't it? Mate, Just to... Not good and necessity. Yeah. Yeah. You check yourself constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say also, it's interesting how 
but comedy's finding different platforms now and obviously you mm. do several podcasts. Yeah. How's that been as a way of, you know, getting um not getting your name out there as such, but to promote what you do outside of you know Well for me it's um do I don't I genuinely don't know what I'd have done without it. Mm. Um with po- without podcasting. Uh, well, I do know what I'd have done without it. Still, no one would be coming to any of my gigs, <laughs> uh, I imagine. I don't know. Who bloody knows what would have happened. Mm. Um, I um, it, oh, How you get on profile-wise has changed so dramatically yeah. over the course of the time I've been doing comedy. And now, um, uh, it used to be that you get to headlining clubs and then you get allowed on some radio and then you get allowed on some telly mm. and at radio being into telly. And all of that has changed completely now. Um, if you get to the point of your headlining clubs, it's probably unlikely that you'll be taken seriously in Edinburgh because there's an elitism and a snobbery about mm-hmm. Edinburgh and and at versus club gigs. And it's not quite fair. There are lots of amazing club gigs with lots of innovative, brilliant, uh, sometimes very alternative comedians absolutely smashing it still. I think it's a very sad thing that this valley, this rift has occurred between these two schools. And I think it is just the money of Edinburgh and of the people making the decisions there, and I think it's gross. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, saying that, oh, then it changed, then it seemed to change. And it, first of all, it was like, look, you can do well in Edinburgh now, and that's how you get let into telly. That's how you get f- industry thinking there's a uh, buzz about you. Radio started to lose its powers a bit in terms of being able to transition things along. Um and then social media came along and you were able to build an enormous following on YouTube, on Facebook, on, you know, just by having a big social media profile. And now we've got this, I never, you know, and all of those things you were ch- I was chipping away at, you know, did Edinburgh show after Edinburgh show, and you'd be, you know, what are you doing? But for years, I felt like the more effort I put into social media, the, the less impact yes, it yeah, had. Yeah. Um, you're far more likely to get 100 new followers from, um, you know, writing about some terrible thing that's happened to you and how Southwest trains are all fucking evil <laughs> than you were about yeah. this killer one-liner that you wrote, like, because... Yeah. Oh, God. Anyway, um, yeah, now there's podcasts and you can do what you like and you can say what you like and you can be who you are and you can be whatever version of yourself that you want and you can give as much as you want. And I, much like in my stand-up, I'm prepared to give virtually everything. Yeah. yeah. Um I like it, and I think it. Podcasts have let people into people's actual personalities. There's yeah. downsides to that. Like yeah. I think that you get people that listen who think that they're your actual best friend, <laughs> and that can be a little bit scary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also, it's fine. You know, it's incredible. I don't know what I've done without it, and you know, without Deborah and the Gersey Feminists, really, yeah. it's yeah. so enormous. And she's given me so many incredible. Um, she's shown me to people who have. Yeah, it meant that I've gotten a profile now. That's really nice. And I'm, yeah, I'm deeply grateful. Also, um, you know, I think what she's done generally is pretty incredible. She yeah. has this oh, platform it's where th- there is a genuinely safe space for the most, and I don't include me in this, the most underheard voices. It's mind blowing. It's absolutely yeah. mind blowing. Yeah. She is a fucking good egg. Yeah. Yeah. She's and um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. And then so and then started my uh, I mean, also, I think in saying that as well, I feel like I should maybe say I um I think that that podcast is one of the best things that's ever happened generally. Mm-hmm. But 
it's a it's a comedy podcast, but it is also a social justice movement. Yeah. Yeah. And then my part in it is as a clown, mm-hmm. and my comedy and my podcast are as uh, they're less they're lighter on the social justice yeah. than <laughs> on the comedy. Yeah. So there's it's nice to be part of something so important. Yeah. But I think as well, I've learned over the years as well that I've had this kind of internal dialogue where it's like, ah, you know, I've got in trouble for not in trouble, you know, I've had a bit of backlash for some of the stuff I've said on there and stuff. I only go out. Well, this is like that. You, I would. That podcast is, I have to think of it in the same way, to an extent that you go, well, I wouldn't go to my nana's house and swear like <laughs> yeah. I am on this podcast. Yeah. Um, because also the point of that is it needs to be inclusive for so many people. Yeah. You go, well, yeah. and, then, and, then and, and that might be very different in what I, the things I'd say. And again, I'm very careful in different ways on my podcast. It's all about eating. I have lots mm. of people who listen who have a very, very extreme disordered eating and stuff. So I've learned over the course of that that I've got a, a new realm of being careful within that. Um, but in my stand-up, I am... Entirely free. Yeah. I think. Yeah, it's fascinating. All those different things. Yeah. Really rewarding and uh, nourishing without sounding like a complete prick. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, do you I find agree. it easy to flip between the really different easy, things? Easy, yeah. yeah. And, and every now and again, you get a little gentle slap, like doing the play. Mm. On the one hand, if I'm really honest, I went to rehearsals with a bunch of other stuff on, you know, loads of other bits and bobs of work, castings and voiceovers and like just trying to juggle everything. And I got in there and was like, oh, there's... One, they, I, every, lots of screen acting I've done, if it's been comedy, the script has been relatively, play, you can play a little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah. And um, with this, I've uh, just uh, recently just done a drama, uh, filmed a drama earlier this year, which actually, w- w- with that, um, it's a director I'd worked on a sitcom before, and he was like, with this, he was like, no, with this, you need to say exactly okay. what it says in here. And I was like, okay, fine, that's fine. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't the most enormous part, so it was fine. Whereas in the play, it was quite a big part. There's loads of dialogue, and they were like, it has to be precise. And yeah. I realised the slap around the face wasn't just the getting used to an audience, not roaring with laughter and being able to appreciate things in a way that different to stand up, but also the rehearsal process. I was like, I can't phone this in. Yeah. yeah, I need to cancel a load of other stuff. I need to really focus on this, or I'm not going to be able to learn these lines. And it's not because it gets to the point in the play where it's in your bones. Yeah. And then I was like, that's not going to happen unless I really, really dedicate myself to this. So it's the first time in a long time I felt quite a jerk in yeah. terms of j- trying to jump from one or jump from all the things to this specific one thing and realize actually I'm going to have to have to give everything to this play. And integrating yourself into a family of yeah. players mm. as well is. Yeah. M- Quite, probably quite difficult anyway yeah. but then having to make sure that you're oh do you know nailing. what with that one I lucked out though they were okay, they so were right, cool they? <laughs> guys so lovely yeah. there. I never once wasn't happy to be there and hanging out with them yeah that's cool yeah I'd forgotten that about plays as well that was the other thing mm. like, oh there is lovely that camaraderie and that and then you I'm sure it's all forgotten in the flash but like yeah all those little in jokes and shit backstage yeah. like dream mm. Were there any moments where you... Did you have any blank, blank moments on stage, though? Did it, any line misses? Yeah. Um, I... In rehearsals, absolutely loads. And then I hated the first two shows. Okay. Um, did you get complimented afterwards? Did I? <laughs> no. Did you, Do you know what? I don't care as much about plays. Um, okay. It, uh, for some reason, it's not... If it's it, just it, the I comedy. feel like if somebody's commenting on my stand-up or writing about my stand-up, and I include reviews in this, I feel like you're writing about me and how fucking dare you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> honestly. Um, I'm, sadly, I'm aware it's part of the job, but yeah, I'm not yeah. ever reading it. Do, do you never read reviews? I might read them some point in, in autumn after Edinburgh, but I, um, uh, I will do it um, at the beginning of getting drunk, and then I'll get... Or something like that. Like, I'm, it's not something I enjoy. It's something I feel like I'll, I'm doing this because it's part of my job to mm. be aware of what's in the yeah. world. But never up there. I learned that. Cool. Yeah. 
And Positive I'm saying and that as someone who has had very few shocking reviews. Yeah. I've just had, I, I will take, I will, I cried for a year about a three star review someone wrote about me. And it was three stars. Yeah. But I really hate being called average and it's basically what it did. Um, you, does that ago. come from a, does, is that just? It's my fragility and my yeah. weakness, part of that, which I know now. <laughs> and I need to protect myself. Uh, so I don't read that stuff. Yeah. I think other people can. Other people can care a bit less. But I think when it comes to stand-up, it's like, how dare you? How dare you care about Who are you to write about me? I was just being me. Don't call me average, you fucker. I'd rather you call me shit. <laughs> um, anyway, I, what was on about? Something else. Play. Play. Oh, I don't mind oh, reading yeah. reviews. Yeah, you don't read reviews. Play. Play. Yeah, yeah. And when I blanked. Um, yeah. I hated the first few nights because I was constantly thinking about what I was going to be saying mm-hmm. next. And you can't really be doing very good acting if you're really thinking about what you're saying. Yeah. And then um, from about the, the, I loved the press night and then from then onwards, I, it sort of got, I got comfier and comfier with it. Um, and I had, one of the other actors in it had an enormous blank one night. I thought you were going to say something else then. No. <laughs> Uh, what did you, I wonder I don't what know. I was going to say. He had an enormous... With it. No, yeah, an enormous blank one night. And it was, uh, it was, it wasn't their fault. Like, uh, two of us were meant to come on stage. We were in the middle of a conversation. We missed our cue. Oh. It was seconds, but it was enough to throw him. Yeah. Which was shitty, because it meant that for that scene, and in that scene, he was like... I've lost my line. What's my line? Like oh, on stage, it was God. like, oh God, this is gross. Give me that line again. And like walking back and forth, give me that line again. And, and the line I was having to say again and again was, um, oh God, I've forgotten it now, but it was really pertinent. It was, um, oh God. Oh fuck, what was it? Oh, this is awful. Um, um, I'm sorry. It was... Um, I'm sorry, David, but the answer is definitely no. So, and then he was in, give me that line again. And, and it was so tense. I'm sorry, the answer is definitely no. Did you say Give me that line again. I was going, I'm sorry, but the answer is definitely no. Like just doing it differently every time. But in your it's heart. like a workshop. Yeah, exactly. But my heart was in my chest going, just because of guilt of being those yeah, seconds late on yeah. stage. And he was completely gorgeous and like saying, no, it wasn't your fault. That wasn't your fault. Da, da, da. And we were like, it was our fault because we, we knew our heads weren't in it. Anyway, uh, that was gross. And then um, I managed not to blank until the last night. Uh. Um, and then I, oh no, it wasn't. Maybe it was a penultimate night. And um, it was during the, my least favourite lines in the entire play, which I'd hated learning. And... Um, I just sort of shouted, random shouting. It was during an angry bit, thankfully. Okay. And um, until another actor sort of picked up the next bit and we moved <laughs> on. So we styled it out. It's nice it was quite near the end of the run, though. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> it was so wordy. Very clever, those chaps. Do you want to do more of that stuff, though? Do you want to do more plays, more acting? I definitely want to do more acting, yeah. Um, I think um, I love screen acting. I get... A massive, I think the other thing people uh, know or think about stand-up is this, it is hugely adrenaline-y job. Mm. Um, but I take um, just as much joy from um, acting as I do from stand-up. I get the same adrenaline and I get the same feeling of reward and satisfaction and enjoyment in the moment. Like, the the, the doing of it is so fun. Also, the f- 
we have this lovely thing in in stand up and in acting where the finding out you've got a job is almost as exciting and brings you so much joy that um, it brings you as much joy as doing the job sometimes. Mm. Um, like that call is the best feeling, and that's very addictive. Um, and with and with screen acting, I've got to meet some of my heroes. I've got to work with some of my heroes, and I. When you know you're doing it all right, that's an amazing mm. feeling. Um, weirdly, I'm very happy watching that back. I'm like stand up as well. I think if I'm being someone else, I don't. I'm not going to watch it as thinking about what I look like or I, as long as I know I didn't shit up the acting. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah, doing yeah. a job well. That's all. I can genuinely look at that and only that when mm. I'm watching me do acting things, and I love that about it as well. Um, also, just practically, it's same as voiceovers. It's it's fun work, and compared to stand-up, it's inordinately better paid for less time and mm. effort and energy. Yeah. You haven't had to write anything. No. You haven't, you know... Just make sure you rock up on time. Yeah, or you get yeah. picked up as well. Oh, yeah, well, that's often. even better. <laughs> yeah, and then you get lovely food, and you get to work with your heroes, and also it gets you it gets your stand-up further on if you're doing of good course, stuff. Of course, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So it's all sort it's of... Win, it's all It's sort of all very codependent. Plays is a different beast. I love this, and I would love to do more plays, but... Um, practically, I have a three-year-old, uh, a single parent, I'm working these jobs, uh, and 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 he, and he has a very, 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 you know, he has a, another parent who's the definite kind of right in there, co-parent, proper 50-50, but, so um, I'm not single parent, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, but you got I yeah. now don't think I could take a play like that unless it was maybe four times the money because mm. I wouldn't want that many nights in a row where I can't put my kids to bed at all. To lock yeah. them in, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So um, not, well, he's this tiny, but yeah, yeah another course, few yeah, years yeah. maybe, yeah, I'd take on something like that or a shorter run or something or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Or something where, yeah, I don't know, yeah, play it by ear. Never say never, but in practical terms, that's, yeah, probably not on the horizon. Yeah, yeah. I think that's totally, that's totally fair. Yeah. Um, well, best luck with everything in the future. Hey, thanks Sounds so much. Sounds like got loads going on, which is wicked. Um, we normally end the pod by asking people, or our guests, just for their advice on sort of blank moments for anyone that's listening that might be going through them, be that creative yeah. or life blanks, anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I think... Um, uh, that the majority of I can only speak from my own experience. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. I God, I'm not very good at uh, prosaic advice. From my experience, I would say um, a lot of blanks come out of um, either being overwhelmed or having asked too much of myself, which is where, yeah. which is the same thing, but can you know sometimes just when you just opened a screen and sat there and gone right, you're doing this now is asking too much of yourself. So all of that, what all of those things really are, are self-imposed pressure. So release that pressure. If, if you are at a point where you are trying to do something and you cannot do it, like there feels like there's a wall, you don't have to do it. You know, it's some, if, if this is something you're choosing to do, you don't have to do it. Even if it means it's something you've been commissioned to do and you need to push a deadline back or whatever, because the second you take your foot off that gas, go and have a shower, live your day, live your life, walks, just walk around, don't, no, no headphones, no book. Look at what's around you. Mm. I think that's just like level one mindfulness, mm. isn't it? It's about yeah. as far as my shrink's got with me. But like taking moments to be present in yourself and you will start having a creative thoughts again, I think, succinctly put, ideas <laughs> um, and inspiration and perhaps the bravery or perhaps whatever it is. That you yeah. So I think just stop it. If you've got to the point where there's something you think you have to do, stop telling yourself that. You absolutely mm. don't. 
and, and then remember your body and brain will remember it's a choice if you just yeah. try and be at peace with yourself for a bit. And that pressure sort of comes off. And if it? it doesn't, and you never do that thing, it was never meant to be. The world's not going to stop fucking turning around. This pressure we put on ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if what you're doing is a creative thing. I mean, we're all going to be fine. If you are a surgeon, listening, <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah, do that, you have to keep going to work? That's the different. Yeah, yeah. When they have break moments, it's terrible. It's not <laughs> ideal. Oh, hurry up, AI. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it, really. Yeah. I don't know. There's no more wisdom than that. I think just if you feel like you can't do it, it means you probably can't in that moment. Mm. So chill out about it. Chill out, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Jessica Foster, you? Hey, thanks for having me. I was going to call you Jeffrey Fortis. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jay. Thank you, you, loads. Thank you very much. Oh, Oh, I loved it. There you go. What a lovely, what a lovely guest, and what a great pod. Lovely pod. Jess was so nice. Yeah, and just so down to earth, and yeah. and really open and honest with us, which is so great. I mean, everyone is normally because we get to that point. I think she said it about her podcast as well that you forget that you're recording and you just yeah. have a, 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 a normal chit chat, and it's just so nice. And um, yeah, for you know, it's just pleasure to be in the room with a. A podcasting heroine. Well, absolutely, yeah. Podcasting legend, very much. And some lovely advice on blank moments and talking about the sort of collaboration of comedy and stand-up, which I find interesting because most people think of stand-up as quite a lonely existence. But she's managed to make it a collaborative effort with some amazing other comedians as well. So, yeah, and I was uh, really interested with the writing club that they used, they had together yeah. with the other comedians, Sarah Pascoe and some yeah. other ones um, that she named. And uh, that was brilliant, I thought. That was really interesting because I've been... Toying with the idea of starting something similar for writing, you know. Yeah, I think like it'd that. be a good idea. Yeah. Anyway. Well, there you go. Something to take mm. away from the pod. Absolutely. Good stuff. Well, thank you very much, Jessica, for joining us on this week's pod. We round off, as ever, with a tweet. Who have we got this week? We have got a lovely tweet from Stephen Leatherdale on Twitter. Oh, lovely. Yeah, Stephen Lev is his handle. Uh, the Blank Podcast episode with Samjeev Bashkar is hypnotically good. Wow. It had me sitting on the driveway for five minutes. I was hooked. Another winner from Giles and Jim. Oh, bless That's him. What really a lovely, lovely tweet. Yeah, it's lovely. And yeah. that, that podcast has, the, that episode has definitely resonated with people. Yeah, really, really, really has resonated. And some, some really wonderful kind of, I mean, if anyone's seen the audiogram on, on what we've put on social media, people have really resonated with the words that um, Sanjeev said. And uh, yeah, Sanjeev, what a legend. What a legend. So thank you, Stephen, for that tweet. Um, if you want to do like Stephen and tweet us, you can. Our handle is... At Blank Pod. Lovely stuff. And um, Instagram and Facebook is also the same. At Blank Pod. Yeah. What's that? Patreon. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, and if you'd like to email us, you can do. Our email is... Theblankpodcast at gmail.com. There I've we almost go. forgot then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. People work it out. It'll be fine. Also, I want to give a little shout out to our Patreon supporters. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah. who's been lovely to support our show. When, if you do like our show and would like to support us, please do head over to patreon.com backslash blank pod. Lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah please do. We do. really yeah. appreciate it. Because it really helps us keep doing it, you know. So, yeah, you know, it's really kind of you. And thank you to the, to the patrons who really uh, pa- patronise us. <laughs> hey, we love you That's very much. Not the right word. They don't patronise. <laughs> they us. support. Well, us. they do in a way. It's well, I don't know. Is that the right? I think it kind of is. Oh. I think. I think it might be one of those words that's got two meanings. Yeah. 
Because I think if you are a patron, then you must pa- be patronising. But you're not patronising us, no. as in like, mocking us, but you're patronising us in supporting. They might be. Maybe they are. And you know they're what? They're ironically they are, supporting us. As long as they keep giving us the money, they're welcome <laughs> yeah. to do that. That's so please, do yeah, want. anyway. So please do support. Uh, and that's it. Thanks very much for listening this week. Uh, have a good week, mate. And you. Thank you. Uh, thanks to Jessica Foster for joining us. Um, have a great week. And we'll see you next week on The Blank Podcast. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.